Larry the Librarian. Charles Rubin didn't want to return to the same island he had come from, as things had gotten so very awkward with that particular Clara after their night together. So, to determine which of the eight septillion, one hundred and eighty-five sextillion, nine hundred and eighty-four quintillion, eight hundred twenty-five quadrillion, one hundred and seventy-three trillion, four hundred and thirty-eight billion, five hundred and thirteen million four hundred sixty-one thousand one hundred and sixty-nine coffeehouse islands included pyramids with Claras he had not yet met and thus had not yet had the opportunity to make it weird with. He rolled two six-sided dice sixteen times. The first to die in each roll determined which group of six, from six to thirty-six, and the second determined which of the six in that group, so he could quickly get a smoothly random number between and including one and thirty-six sixteen times. He wrote the randomly selected coffeehouse island's address on page five of his notebook. He grabbed his things, walked up to the wall, and put his right hand up in the usual manner, looked at the randomly selected address on page five of his notebook, and the door faded into view. That's such a rush, he thought to himself, remembering the first time he'd seen his dad do the same thing. He walked through and felt the shimmering portal pass around him like a vertical water surface. Charles Rubin and Clara sat at one of the tables near the edge of the island. This is Clara speaking, the text is purple. When you rolled all of those dice, and you chose your destination based on what you rolled, you created as many versions of yourself as there are coffeehouse islands. One of you rolled all ones, another rolled all thirty-sixes. One of you even rolled exactly the address of the island you were trying to avoid, and then took it as a sign and went back to try to work things out with her. Do you understand?" End quote. Charles furrowed his brow and tried to absorb this information. Just then, like a comet falling from the sky, they saw a bright light and heard a loud crash beside them. They stood and saw another Charles Rubin with a grandiose and triumphant expression on his face. Sorry about that. I flew way up there. It was incredible. The new arrival, Charles, without thinking, walked up to them and pulled the quarter out of his pocket. Check that out. Heads on both sides. So the dice chance divides us. But as soon as I flip this quarter, poof, it's all heads. We all 
return to one single Charles. Isn't that just the coolest thing you've ever heard? The Charles with the quarter was a bit surprised that the Charles there on that island didn't suddenly leap for joy at the situation as well, but instead looked at the quarter with eyes widening slowly, concern deepening. Clara speaks. Don't worry. When you all when you all turn back into one, that Charles will be the sum of all of you, and he will retain all of your memories. She looked coolly at new arrival Charles, the one with the quarter. When there's only one of you, that one will remember what it was you're so damn happy about right now, and they'll also understand why my new friend here doesn't share your enthusiasm. Anyway, we were having a bit of a private conversation here, so if you don't mind, maybe let him have his separate existence a bit longer. You know, without you here. The Charles with the quarter was a bit taken aback by Clara's harsh words. Without really understanding, he ran to the edge of the island and jumped into the air, flying off to explore the many variations of these temporary clones of himself, or at least that's how he seemed to see it. Clara looked back at Charles, the one beside her. He had lost the will to stand up and had collapsed into a folded leg position right there on the malachite floor. I'll get you some water. When she returned, she found Charles sitting at a table nearby, looking out at the ocean and the other islands, the other Charleses flying between the islands. You okay? It just pisses me off not knowing when he's going to flip it or why. Clara sat beside him, putting her arm around him. He said, do you remember the man you, one of your sisters talked to me about? The one who wanted to kill me, mate with me, and become one with me? Yes, I do. Can you get me in touch with him? Clara smiled knowingly. Sure, Charles. Tears welled up in his eyes, then down his cheeks. He looked at her with a bit of spark returning. He shrugged. I mean, I might as well, right? What difference does it make? Clara said to him, it means a great deal. Charles nodded. We should hurry. Clara approached the central door of the pyramid of the side nearest to them, put her hand up to the wall just beside the door, looked up at the apex of the pyramid and said, universe number one. Number one, Charles thought to himself. The view on the other side faded to the familiar dark void. From the darkness came the serious expression of the creepy man in the gray suit. The man walked through the portal onto the island and looked at Charles, his eyes widening. Charles said, I've changed my mind. I would like to accept your offer. The creepy man smiled brightly, unnervingly, and said, I may kill you? 
I please, I may kill you? Charles said, do what you will with me. I'm done. He reached to shake the man's hand. The creepy man looked at Clara, then back at Charles. He took Charles's hand with both of his hands and led him through the door into the void, all the while crying out, Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Charles Rubin quickly put on the goldfish bowl helmet the Fathoms had given him on old Venus the previous morning, from his point of view. Back when the architect of the coffee house, Charles de Grey's ancestors' zygotes, were still cryogenically frozen in the basement of a Las Vegas casino once owned by their universe's doppelganger of Elizabeth II, as he would later find out. Anyway, the creepy man returns to his true form, that of a small black sphere. The light from the interdimensional sun behind shone in from the rectangular door floating in space, and it was the only source of illumination in the universe. Charles Rubin held the man, the sphere, in his hand, and it led him back to a dark planet ever so faintly distinguishable in that light. As they approached, Charles could see that were this planet properly lit, it would likely be much more ornately colored. They approached the opening that the creepy man had made so long before. All that was left were cold planets and a few hypermassive black holes. A few of the remaining dark planets' cores were still a little bit red-orange, like the last embers of a campfire. Huddled around these campfires were the only remaining sentient beings in the universe. Out of necessity, the many had become few. Each crystal which surrounded the deep inner cores of these planets had merged into great collectives of consciousness. Each of these spherical crystalline core beings had records of all the others, but as the expansion accelerated, they were unable, even with all of their technology, to communicate with their cousins huddled around the other core campfires. After a while, they had all begun to doubt the existence of the others and to consider those distant memories as perhaps some comforting story they had made up for themselves. Then, out of nowhere, high up in the night sky of one such dark planet, a two-dimensional rectangle appeared, a door. Thanks to Clara's manipulations, a curious young Charles Rubin was left unsupervised just long enough to put his head through the door and look around. The inward-facing crystalline sphere at the planet's core, filled with ancient memories of a universe that was no more, was able to perceive him. And it became an object of obsession for it. It knew that this was another being in present time, and it did not match with any of its own memories, received 
or from direct or indirect assimilation. It knew that if it could merge with this other being, it would be quickened, made new again, and that it would see itself through the eyes of this new kind of being. Over the centuries which followed, the crystalline sphere deep inside devised a way that it might send a piece of itself, a probe, which could act as its eyes and ears and mouth. At great risk to its own survival, using more energy than its better judgment felt it should, it sent this probe upward, using a kind of drill, to the surface of the cold, dark planet, and up into the void of space, to the place where Charles Rubin had once appeared. When it moved through the portal, for the eyes of humans, the coffee house gave it an approximation of its nature, metaphorically expressed as a human face and form, just as Charles the Grey had designed it to. Okay, that's the end of the flashback. We're back in present time. Charles is there with the sphere. Charles felt a bit like Alice falling down the rabbit hole as gravity's pull on him increased, and he could sense the volcanic rock around this deep hole was once a lively and deadly red mantle. They reached the once white-hot core that was now dimly and barely red-orange, and Charles was overcome by the beauty of this great violety iridescent geode that he was now inside of, which was the creepy man's home. He, the black sphere, the probe, returned to his place among the crystals. He quickly shifted from black and spherical to angular, purple and translucent, somehow extracting a rainbow from the dim red-orange light. Are you ready? The voice came from all of the crystals around him at once. Charles called back. Yes? The crystals began to shift and move in a swirling pattern. Charles was lifted toward the crystals above him and unable to imagine an outcome other than that of being torn to pieces by them. He let out a frightened squeak. And that was the very last thought he ever had as Charles Rubin. The very next thought he had, he shared in common with the crystals. In that same swirling motion, he thought of all the new visions and smells and memories, ancestors, wars and histories, beautifully colored planets, things like birds or bats, and entire planets of solid gold. He also saw his own memories from the point of view of these ancient and profoundly bored beings. The memories of Charles Rubin were a drop in the bucket next to these vast histories, but for the crystals, Charles' memories of his world, from his point of view, opened them up to whole new possibilities. Charles' mind allowed the crystalline structure to laugh at itself for the first time and to know what that means. This new being, he knew, was neither Charles, nor the creepy man, 
nor the crystals. His face was like Charles, but much older. His hair was white as snow. He decided at that moment that he should have a new name and that his name would be Larry. Being the offspring of Charles Reuben and in a sense being himself Charles Reuben, he also had the abilities of Charles Reuben. He would never again have to leave the core as a probe to seek out that old door that Charles the Grey had so graciously opened so many ages before. He held up his right hand with fingers outstretched, and there before him appeared a door. On the other side of the door stood Clara. About time, Larry. And they both had a good long laugh. Mm -hmm.